midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are running out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us, and you should go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came by. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the hour or the day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider this illustration, we pray for insight and understanding as always into who you are and who we are and the kind of relationship you're inviting us into with you, with ourselves and with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great to see everybody here today. And uh, Nick, thank you for sharing that incredible song that you and your community group literally just wrote, as you mentioned, on Thursday night. So it was really cool to see it uh, come together. I had some questions whether you could do that, but how dare I? How dare I question the, the Nick Zork and the uh, community group? So awesome things that happening there at all of our community groups, but in particular with that one. So today we are closing our uh, summer sermon series on the parables of the kingdom with this very familiar uh, parable. And here uh, Jesus is sharing this illustration with his disciples during the last week of his life. And it is immediately preceded by uh, Jesus' assertion that no one, not even himself, knows the day or the hour of his return to planet Earth. Now, this uh, description of the women as uh, virgins is specifically used to describe their place in the social hierarchy of a communal wedding celebration. They were young women. That's the implication. And probably not central characters in the wedding itself. Now, unfortunately, there is not a lot historians know about first century Jewish wedding ceremonies. So, Bible students have had to infer quite a bit from other Near Eastern cultures and what we know about their wedding ceremonies to really understand the context of what Jesus is describing here. Um, in this illustration, though, it, it's apparent that the groom was at another location and maybe performing another part of the tradition uh, to which these young women have not been invited. So they were waiting to join the wedding party along the route that the groom would take to get to the wedding banquet the highlight for the community of the wedding itself, a time for dancing and eating, drinking and celebration. We're reminded here that Jesus was very into weddings. Uh, you may remember that his first miracle was at a wedding banquet and he used weddings as the scenes of several of his parables and illustrations. So Jesus loved a good a wedding. Now, Adventists have had a, spe a special place in their hearts for this parable. And in particular, the description of the midnight cry or the announcement that the groom symbolizing the Lord Jesus himself was coming. Most Bible interpreters do affirm that this is undoubtedly a parable about the return of Jesus to planet Earth the second time. Of course, again, Jesus is preparing for his own death. It's in the last week before he is to die. And so he's talking about 
his return when he's going to be when he's going to come back. And so early Adventists took to heart the idea that Jesus' return was imminent, and they saw their role as announcing his return, or if you will, proclaiming the midnight cry. Now there are five very clear lessons for us here in Jesus' illustration. First, we don't know when Jesus' return will be, so we should always be prepared and heed Jesus' warning to keep watch. In other words, be ready. Uh, Secondly, there will be those who are unprepared for the return of Jesus, and they will not be included in the kingdom. This is the tragic uh, reality of this parable. And so all of us, again, should be, should remain prepared for the return because some people are going to miss out. That's the unfortunate reality, the tragic reality of this illustration. Thirdly, the oil apparently represents character elements that can't be shared from one follower of Jesus to another. So we should, again, have plenty of the needed characteristics as part of the being ready so that when Jesus returns, we'll have what we need and uh, we won't have to, to try to acquire it from somewhere else. We'll all be already be ready. Fourthly, every one of those waiting for the groom to come fell asleep. And this is in, in expected, maybe even implied. And the illustration's emphasis isn't on the fact that they did sleep, but that they were unprepared for the groom's arrival when they awoke. And then finally, we see that Jesus is warning his followers that we need to be prepared for a time of extended waiting for his return. So he warned his followers right off. He didn't tell them when he was going to come back or not. In fact, he said he didn't even know himself, but he did warn his followers that there was going to be an extended waiting for his return, but they were to always, or we were to always live ready for the return whenever that might be. Now, these, I think, are helpful instructions that Jesus is giving us here, especially as we live in a time when many of us are disturbed by the state of the world and are thinking about what comes next. For Christians, that question might be, you know, is Jesus to return soon? It's an important question. But this parable reminds us that when, when exactly Jesus is going to return isn't as important as we might think. Instead, we are given the instructions to always be ready whenever it happens. Now, of course, the problem and the challenge here that is that always being prepared is a challenging way to live. I mean, it's one thing to be excited about the return of Jesus, but to constantly live with that excitement and that readiness is a challenging. And that leads to the question, why? What, what is it about always being ready is, is challenging? Um, that's our question for today. Why is it hard to remain ready for the return of Jesus? And I think there are a bunch of responses to that, but uh, as we like to do, I have three for you. Firstly, uh, you know, the world is uh, such a mess. And quite frankly, it has been for a long time. And it's tempting because of this to give up on God and kind of get impatient with God. You know, during recent times, I've thought a lot about Jeremiah's complaint found in chapter 12 of the book named after him. And there, 
the prophet calls out, this is Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 1. He says this, he's talking to God directly. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless, faithless live at ease? Now, I don't know about you, but I resonate with that uh, question. You know, God, I'm thankful you created the universe, but I would speak to you about one thing, about your justice. You know, there's so much injustice in the world. We've seen so much over the last few months, uh, time and time again, just injustice, it seems like it's everywhere. And so Jeremiah making that cry, I want to speak to you about your justice. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the faithless live at ease? Jeremiah encapsulates a question I think that many of us have. Those who do wrong seem to flourish. Those who are innocent seem to suffer. Now, I think we are justifiably frustrated at the delay of justice, fairness, and maybe angry that those who shun God's principles somehow, somehow seem to keep flourishing. This inequity goes on and on for generation after generation. I mean, Jeremiah was speaking about this injustice way back thousands of years ago, and here we are still today wrestling with the reality of injustice. And so it goes on and on, and at some point, we are tempted to start blaming God for allowing this to happen. Turn on God and where is he? What's going on? That's, that's certainly a temptation. But there's another reality. You know, we ourselves, not only the world, but we ourselves are such a mess that it's tempting to check out. I mean, it's one thing when the world is a mess. We, you know, you can't really control the world, at least as an individual. Maybe play a small part in that. But when it comes to ourselves, we feel like we should be able to control things. But the reality is we're kind of a mess too. And so it's pretty easy when we start recognizing our own incapability of being the kind of people that we want to be to just check out and neglect that which we need to be ready for. So not only are we impatient with God in the state of the world, we are also impatient with ourselves. You know, have you ever felt just so overwhelmed by what you need to do that you are just tempted to fire up Netflix, find the largest uh, tub of ice cream and lose yourself for an evening? I mean, We've been in this pandemic for a while. I know that some of you have done that. I may have done that uh, too. You fire up the streaming service, find the ice cream and go for it. I understand ice cream sales are just out of control during the pandemic. And it makes sense. I've eaten my share of, of ice cream. But that's the temptation. Like, it, there's so much to do. It's so overwhelming. How am I going to fix myself? But easier just to try to lose yourself. Of course, unfortunately, that doesn't work well. well. In fact, all this is well and good until the next morning when your presentation at work is a disaster because you barely slept and still have the taste of rum raisin on your lips. When it comes to our characters, there does seem to be so much work to do that we'll never really be ready or prepared for the return of Jesus. And so this can be depressing, this can be challenging, and this can cause us to get impatient with ourselves and to give up. And then. Uh, finally, we struggle with always being ready because, you know, we have some expectations about how the world is going to work, how we're going to work, how God is going to work. And sometimes those expectations are just off. You know, we have expectations about God's timing. 
It's one thing to be excited about the idea of Jesus' return if you think that it's going to happen tomorrow or a week from now or even a month from now. But what if it's going to take a while, as it has? Uh, it's a lot harder to sustain that sense of excited, excitement and, and being ready when things are seemingly delayed. And so how do you build a faith that perseveres through delay and disappointment? That's a, it's a tough reality. And so our expectations that are that things are going to ha- come fast or we come to faith and we're like, Jesus is coming and it could be tomorrow. What if it's not? What if it takes time as it has? And then we also have expectations about what we will experience. You know, we have, we have been at some level maybe fooled to think that when you become a person of faith, it's smooth sailing from there on out. You know, only faith will only lead to good things. But, you know, we are in a broken world and there is an enemy at work in God's field. And so there are some difficult times ahead for anybody who comes to faith. And so for those of us who have been a person of faith for some time, you know that it's not smooth sailing. And yet we can have expectations that, you know, well, if I just do this, or if I just become that, or if I just believe this, surely once that happens, smooth sailing will come. But that's often not the case. And so having faith that can survive disappointment, delay, and our own weaknesses is a challenge. And it's hard. It's hard to stay prepared for the return of Jesus when all of these elements are a part of our experience. Our efforts to correct our own shortcomings, they often fail. And the, the reaction can be, I just give up. I just give up. I can't do it. I can't be the kind of person that I want to be. I can't fix this broken world. And all my expectations keep being shattered. And so the natural inclination may be to give up. But thankfully, Jesus hasn't given up. Jesus didn't give up. You know, Jesus' faith too survived a disappointment, delay, and even weakness. We're told that for 40 days, Jesus went without food in the desert. And if you don't think that that leads to weakness, you know, Jesus was a man, a human, just like us. 40 days without food, you are going to be weak. And then in the midst of the 40 days, Satan himself showed up. You know, I've faced some temptations in my life, but I can't ever say that Satan came face to face with me and tried to tempt me, especially with the things that Jesus was as tempted with. Jesus faced temptation from Satan himself when he was at his weakest. Jesus didn't give up on, on God. After 40 days of not eating, I would imagine that all you're thinking about is the experience of eating again. And so there's weakness that comes from that. But Jesus didn't get frustrated, didn't blame God or check out. I mean, we're told that the Spirit, God actually sent Jesus out into the desert. So he may have had a reason to blame God. Jesus didn't blame God. He had his eyes on the prize of restoring humanity to our original place. Jesus offered, also suffered a shameful death. He did so with patience in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 23, we're told by Peter, who was actually there, when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he didn't make threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, he believed in justice, and he believed that the God of the universe, despite the hell that was going on around him, that the, the God of the universe was a judge who judges justly. Verse 24, Peter says, he himself bore our sins. He took our sins on him 
in his body on the cross he bore our sins so that we that we might die to sin and live for for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed this is the great message of peter again who was there he saw jesus go through what he did and then Jesus came back from the dead. In fact, he walked and talked with his disciples, including Peter himself, for 40 days, and he forgave them for abandoning him in his time of desperation. And so because of Jesus' work, despite the fact that the world is a mess, despite the fact that you are a mess, despite the fact that I am a mess, we have hope. We have a hope in a God who is going to make all things right, a God who judges justly, a God who's going to take care of the wrongs of this world, a God who is going to avenge those who were treated unjustly. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 35 says, this is God speaking, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And so the promise is that the God of the universe, he's not going to indefinitely let things go on, even though it seemed like it's going on too long. And our expectations are that he's got to be coming any minute. We don't know. We don't know when it's going to happen, but the promises of God that he's going to avenge, he's going to repay, and he's going to make things right. Because of Jesus' work, despite the fact that we are ourselves such a mess, God has also promised not only just to transform this broken world, but to transform us, our characters. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, who loved to talk about this subject, he says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This is a transformation, by the way, that doesn't just take place at some distant point in the future when Jesus comes back, or even immediate time in the future when Jesus returns. This is a promise for us now, as we embrace faith in the God who has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We become God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And then Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, again, the Apostle Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. See, the, the message of Paul is that those elements, those characteristics that we need to be ready when Jesus comes are not things that we gain from ourselves. They come from God himself. And so to be ready means to embrace the work that God's spirit wants to do in us so that he can give us love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The spirit works within us to give us the elements that we need to be ready. We are not going to be ready on our own. These aren't elements we have to conjure up on our own. In Jesus, we are empowered to be ready. Being ready on our own is difficult, but being ready as we express faith each day in Jesus and his work on our behalf, this is what gives us power. Now, I appreciate the fact that Jesus uh, points out that all 10 of these young women who were waiting for the groom, that they slept. I actually think that's kind of a, a big deal. And sometimes I've heard uh, Bible students who kind of malign them in the illustration for this, but Jesus does not focus on that element. Again, he's worried about them being prepared, not sleeping. And I think it reminds us that we should have peace, even though we are in a waiting period. You can experience rest and still be ready. You, know, you don't have to be anxious all the time. They slept, but half of them 
were ready so that when they awoke and Jesus returned and the midnight cry went out, they were prepared. Resting was not the problem. Some of us need some rest. Some of us need some Sabbath rest in our, our experience. We're anxious about everything. Five of these wise women, five of the, the, the five wise women, they slept, they rested. God wants us to be at peace even as we wait for the world to be fixed. Now, I know that's a tough word because right now it feels really difficult to not be anxious, but God's cry for our hearts is that we don't experience that anxiousness. Again, the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Listen to this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that through prayer and petition, we can be at peace despite the perceived delay of justice and the delay of the return of the Lord. And so we can speak out for what's right in this broken world and we can protest against injustice and we should and we can advocate for the mistreated but we can also be confident that the Lord has not forgotten the plight of planet Earth and that God loves the world so much that he sent his one and only son into the world once and his son is soon to return and come back and make all things new. But if that soon takes longer than we expect or anticipate, we can have peace despite everything that's going on around us and even what may be going on within us. God, the God who's promised to make all things right, wants us not to be anxious, even when the world is falling apart. May we, in these desperate times, experience the peace of God that transcends all understanding and be continually ready for the return of the Lord Jesus. Amen.